Hey, my name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I want to do an episode on something that I love. I think you'll love too. Actually, we all love. It's oxytocin. Oxytocin is a unique neurosteroid. It's a compound. Neurosteroid is not the correct term for it. It's a neurotransmitter, really. Anyway, oxytocin is a neurotransmitter that has effect on the endocrine system. So oxytocin is basically the chemical of love. It's the signature of love in your body. It's the um, neurotransmitter of, of connection in people. When a woman gives birth, that spike in oxytocin that occurs right at birth is it creates that moment of loving connection you have with your child. And I remember I was there for the birth of my three children, and I remember watching my wife go through labor, and I remember that. But I remembered how much love she had when she saw those babies, and that was oxytocin in that moment. When you fall in love with someone and you feel that deep connection, and when I say fall in love, it's not like, oh, that person's beautiful or you have that pheromone attraction. I'm talking like you're seeing them with someone and you know them and you're talking and you're hearing them and you're present and they're present with you and you just feel like this is it. This is that person. And you feel this deep connection, oxytocin. When you got your dog, and I got my two dogs right here my, by my feet, when you got your dogs there or your cat or that moment of connection of love you have with them, oxytocin. When you feel belonging with your friends and connection with your friends and your people, you're happy to be around your your people that you love, your, your whatever social network you have, oxytocin. Oxytocin is just such an important part of connection and intimacy. It's not just sexual. It's all the way down the whole line. It plays a role in any type of connection we have with anybody around us. So it's an important part of our brain chemistry. How am I bringing this up? Why am I bringing this up? I thought about this one a lot. And let me go back to when I first really started thinking about this clinically in my practice. Years of practice, years of doing this, have shown me an obvious link between hormone balance and interpersonal connections. I can't deny it. You know, um, a lot of these cases where we start treating our patients, they'd come in with, you know, anxiety, depression, insomnia, low libido any number of things, and we'd correct those things, what they would report on the other end was more than just anxiety, depression, insomnia, libido. There's something else was happening. Their, their relationships were closer. They, they would all comment on that. I remember there was a case that sits with me forever, and it was early on. There was a husband and wife. The husband and wife were coming in, and, and I was seeing the husband. They would come in and sit down in the waiting room. The wife would just sit, wait in the waiting room for him. And then they would just leave at the end of his appointment. And after a bit, you know, of working with him, I think say about six months in, the front desk said to me, you know, when they leave now, they hold hands. And that's consistent with the way the man described to me how he was feeling in his life, that intimacy, that connection. Now, the first thing we would say to ourselves, well, Brendan, you were giving the guy testosterone. That's great. His libido is up. Of course he's going to have that. And I would say Maybe. Remember, men have periods of time, the periods of time in their lives where we have a lot of testosterone. That doesn't make us all intimate. 
and connected. There's something else at play here. You know, just having a libido does not mean you're going to feel connected and intimate. There's more to it. That's why I said earlier, the connection you feel when you say, I love someone, you know, I'm in love with someone. That love feeling sometimes is pheromones, and sometimes all, all these other components. And yes, and oxytocin is, has some play in there. I'm not going to argue that. But that connection you have, that's more than just libido. That's more than just that. It's just the, that's oxytocin. It's a, it's a unique feeling. When I first started looking into this and seeing this change in my patients in their relationships, first of all, I love that. That's my favorite part of the job. I love seeing marriages stronger. I love seeing relationships closer. I love that stuff. I, it's, it's real obvious to me when I see it in practice. So I was like, well, I want more of this. <laughs> On my end, I want to treat more of this. I want to see this. I want this outcome for everybody I see. Because I do. I want to see that in everybody I see. That's, that's my goal. And so I want to understand it better so that I can be able to do it more. And, and so I went down this whole rabbit hole of understanding. This is, you know, 20 years back, you know, 18 years back. I was looking for my original notes on it, and that's how old these notes are. Some of them go back further. An interesting thing that I learned about oxytocin early on was its role in our adaption to stress. Now, Back a little over 100 years ago, there's a, a, a doctor, Walter Bradford Cannon. You know, he first came up with the idea of fight or flight as a traditional response to stress, do fight or flight. And I talk about that in previous podcast episodes, but just, you know, think of this. Modern day, we do it a lot. Like, when you get in an argument with your significant other, a lot of times men will just argue or will just withdraw. You know, that's right there, classic fight or flight. What's interesting, though, is that in 2000, the year 2000, uh, um, a, a study was published by Shelley Taylor, and it postulated the idea of something called tend and befriend as, as a means to adapt to stress. Now, tend and befriend is unique, and I like that a lot. Um, in times of stress, she postulated that we tend to um, take care of those around us. Like if you have children, you want to make sure they're all in a good place, or you have People in your community, you know, say there's a, a storm, you know, and that there's, you want to make sure everyone has what they need. That's tending. And then befriending is when you kind of reach out to other people and communicate with them. Hey, this is what's happening. How are you over here? And we do that as human beings. That's very common. So when tend and befriend was put out there, then there was a whole dialogue out there in, in the research world as to whether tend and befriend is more feminine and fight or flight more masculine. And, you know, at the end of the day, my opinion on this, and, and, and out there there's a few others who share this, we all have a little of both. There are times when women will fight or flight. There are times when men will tend and befriend. I think about this in the business world, you know, tend and befriend is basically when you go out there doing team building exercises, when you're you're out there making sure everyone has what they need to do what they need to do when you're there together. It's, it's all the whole company culture movement that's out there. That's all tend and befriend stuff. And that's how it modulates stress. So there's a little of both. So oxytocin is unique in this because if you don't have oxytocin, you don't have tend and befriend. And think about that. What's the best way to go through stress? What, what would you think is the best way for you to go through stress? My, my personal opinion would be tend and befriend. You know, fight or flight is, has a place where you're going to need it. All right, I'll have it back there. 
But when I have a stress in my current life, because I'm not on the, the, the Serengeti, I'm not in a feeling off the fight for my life right now. You know, so what am I going to do? I'd rather do tend and befriend under stressful situations. That's more productive. That's more socially uh, appropriate than fight or flight. So tend and befriend is wonderful. It's just, again, you need oxytocin to get to that place. So when I started treating these people early on, and I was noticing these big shifts in their brain chemistry and their mood and then their relationships, the relationship part was massive. We started doing more research in the office about well, what is the link between our hormones that we're treating with and, and how it's affecting the brain, specifically in this case, oxytocin. And we came up with an understanding of this. This is some basic stuff. Oxytocin declines with age. You know, that's, we know that the amount of oxytocin declines with age. Okay? The number of nerves in the brain that make oxytocin, though, do not decline. The amount of oxytocin being made declines with age, but the source of oxytocin doesn't diminish. This is important because if the source was diminishing, we would say this is a structural breakdown, part of aging, blah, blah, blah. That's why you have less oxytocin, but it doesn't. This helps open the window as to understanding why these neurotransmitters are being affected, excuse me, why oxytocin is being affected by these other therapies. See, the thing is like these hormones we treat people with are upregulating the effectiveness of oxytocin, specifically estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and thyroid. All of these play a role in the release of oxytocin in the brain, in the area of the brain specific to bonding. So when I give someone more testosterone and normalize it, not too much, not too little, just the right amount, you have a better release of oxytocin in the brain associated with bonding. Same with progesterone, same with estrogen. Thyroid's a little different though. Thyroid actually potentiates the protection of oxytocin. It enhances the natural production of oxytocin. So when we normalize someone's hormones, we expect there to be a benefit of oxytocin in the background. Here's where, why did I make the podcast today? You know, if you were to right now just, anybody, is oxytocin going right now? Me too. <laughs> if you go online and just look up oxytocin, you know, you're going to see so many companies selling oxytocin in pill form, in lozenges, in nasal sprays, and they mix it up with different stuff. There's like oxytocin with uh, Cialis together. It's not Cialis. Cialis is the trade name. Oxytocin with Tadalafil in it. The different things they do, these combinations of it. And the question is, is, is this legitimate? Is this good? And he was like, well, Brennan, how do you do it in your practice? How do you do it in your clinic? That's why I want to make this quick podcast on it. I don't even think it'll be a quick podcast today, will it? No, sorry. <laughs> if you know me, you know I, I love relationships and I love this part of the work and it's so important to me. Uh, so, of course, this is going to be a little bit longer. Oxytocin, let me start off by this. I don't prescribe oxytocin directly to people as a supplement or a prescribed agent, actually, because it is a prescribed agent. I don't do it. Not because I don't believe in it and don't like it or any of those reasons. I do it because there's not enough research into the effective means of getting it into your body for what I want it for. Okay. We use a version of oxytocin called Pitocin in fertility in order to stimulate birth. 
you know, that's what's that's Pitocin is, man. It stimulates the, the, the uterus to contract. When you hit a certain level of it, you're going to have a, a contraction of the uterus and, and that's going to cause, you know, the birth of a child. So I know if I gave you oxytocin in the form of Pitocin as an injectable, I know what I'm getting. I know what's, where it's going. If I were to give you oxytocin, wanting to stimulate your mood and your brain and get an intimate connection with you, it's not the same. Just by taking it orally does not mean it's going to get in the brain. There's enough studies that show that it's not clear yet the best means of getting it into your brain. Now, there's promise with the idea of a nasal spray. That looks great. And I want you to know, I like that one. That looks really good, very promising. So why am I not using a nasal spray? The primary reason why I'm not using nasal spray, I can't test oxytocin on a lab yet. There are a couple of boutique labs out there that offer interesting ways of testing oxytocin for a few hundred dollars, but they don't have a guaranteed way of testing it. Again, if you were to look into the literature, you would see the whole research on oxytocin evaluation in patients is most of it's being done in endocrinology well you know because that's where it has most of its effect the research into the way we can test for it shows that the testing that's available now is also inconsistent just as the means of delivery in your body does that mean if you take oxytocin orally or intranasally it's a bad thing Depends on the dose, okay? It depends on the dose. You do too high of a dose, it's, you're going to be getting an effect similar to Pitocin. You have a uterine contraction. It's not a good thing to do. You just want to make sure you're aware of that. But if I'm trying to give you something that's going to have a positive impact on brain chemistry, I don't like using things that I don't quite know how well they're absorbed, and I can't guarantee you that they're working with follow-up lab work to show its effectiveness. So I'm not a big fan of what's out there currently, with either the testing or the delivery mechanism. And also one more thing about the delivery mechanism, which really bothers me a lot. And the other doctors I work with, you all kind of get frustrated with this. There are like there, you could buy um, a tartrate. They're called tartrates. They're little things that dissolve in your mouth of oxytocin. The thing about it is as soon as you heat oxytocin up to a certain degree temperature, it breaks down completely. There's no benefit. So as soon as you take oxytocin, you heat it up to that level to make it into a trochee, like one of those little gummy trochees, or tartrate, with his, which is polyethylene glycol, you know, that um, dissolves in your mouth. Any of those things, when they heat up to a certain temperature, you're basically ruining it. So there's no real product in there at the end of the day. So there's no guarantees with it, and I'm not a fan of it that way. I do believe there's a lot of hope with it, and a lot of promise areas such as uh, autism. Uh, it's... I think the research in that area is brilliant. So I, I think that's uh, going down a really good direction. But again, it isn't until we have a good method of testing and a good method of delivering it. I hope this helps. Please like, share, and subscribe. This stuff matters to us. It really matters to Justin and I when you make comments below because it helps us create this podcast specific to your needs. So thank you. And I will see you next time.